take our Bibles this morning and head to the last opportunity we have to look at Romans 14. And if the Lord comes back before we're done, we'll all be okay with that. As you're turning there, if you've taken the small group financial course in the last two classes, would you just stand? We want to recognize you folks, just where you're at, just for five seconds. If you're part of the last two classes and you've completed it, would you stand and stay standing until everyone's up? The last two classes. This is an effort that is part of our celebration of service month. We already had the teachers come up. Uh, I know there's probably, there's over 20, so they must all be out working in children's ministry or whatnot. The last two classes. All right, uh, Mr. Dodd has your certificates, and he's going to be in the fellowship hall afterwards to give you those certificates. So find him. Even if you were too scared to stand this morning, he's still going to be out there uh, and find him, and he'll give you your certificate. Thank you, and congratulations. We also have a, uh, a handful of really super faithful people that every month cook lunch for our Maturity Matters Bible study. And uh, we'd like to have them stand and thank them. So if you're part of that cooking team, would you stand? We'd like to thank you. I'm going to have to call you out because you're either, either all working. There's one, Heidi in the back. Uh, thank you. Anyone else? They may be working in the child care this morning. Thank you. There's three. And I think Mrs. Carraway's working in the child care this morning. All right, you may be seated. Thank you for your faithfulness there. And uh, John, thank you for all your efforts in putting that together for us and uh, helping these folks serve the Lord uh, in that way. Well, we've been a wonderful journey through uh, Romans 14. It's been wonderful for me. Um, I hope it's been helpful to you. Uh, this is a unique chapter uh, in the Bible that's often uh, given so much attention that it's treated outside and it's handled outside of its immediate context. And uh, it, um, we hopefully have handled it wisely within its context, and hopefully we'll conclude that way uh, this morning. If you're here this morning, you need a Bible to follow along with. Our ushers are prepared to give you one. Uh, many of us have our Bibles on our devices now, and that's fine. Uh, but Romans 14 is where we're at. If you need a Bible, uh, just slip up your hand, and we'll be glad to uh, oblige. Okay? Well, we've divided this chapter up into... Um, four different sections. Uh, our first time together in this chapter, we talked about and considered the, the people of consideration, the people of consideration. And we know that Paul's talking about two groups of people that will always be in the church. He never tells us in this text or any other text of scripture that the church will have any other uh, kinds of folks than these two folks. We're all in Christ. That's what gives us unity. If we know Christ, we're all in him. But there's always going to be strong Christians, and there's always going to be weak Christians. Those are the people of consideration. Then we discussed together some pitfalls. Some pitfalls. And how do these, how do we remain lovingly considerate of one another, whether we're strong or weak, regarding the pitfalls? And the pitfalls were uh, what Paul calls here... Um, Really, uh, food, drink, and honoring of days issues. The weak in this passage were formerly religious people who were tied to religious habits, 
uh, particularly within the context of the group he's speaking to in the Church of Rome. These were uh, biological Jews who used to be under the Mosaic system, and they were used to keeping Mosaic days and festivals and Sabbaths and, uh, and functioning underneath the diet restrictions of the Jewish community. These are folks who are now in Christ. They're part of the New Testament local church, obviously still biological Jews, and still desiring not to hold on to those Old Testament habits, if you will, for the sake of gaining favor with God, but they had a hard time letting go of them because they lived under great conviction, honoring those things for so many years. So these are people that weren't believing that obeying that Old Testament code was making them more holy, nor did they believe that they had anything to do with their salvation. They just had a hard time letting go of them. Uh, whether it's for some type of spiritual nostalgia or whatnot, uh, the Bible says here, as we saw last week, that whatever they did, they did unto the Lord. They, they really felt that there should be some part of their consciousness, some part of their uh, conscientious way of thinking that they had to hold on to what was part of the Word of God and still is. Um, but they're called the weak. And why are they called the weak? Well, because the strong, who represented the majority of the church that we're studying, were people that didn't hang on to days or Sabbaths or festivals or any food or diet restrictions uh, that were lawful for them scripturally. And they had a hard time understanding why people had um, a hard time letting go of those Old Testament dietary or festival restrictions. Um, and Paul says here, love reigns. How does, how does love, going clear back to chapter 12 and verse 9, continue to, to reign and to govern and compel our hearts to remain considerate with one another, whether we are weak or strong. So we, we talked about those pitfalls together. And last week, we discussed some principles of the considerate. And again, all these sermons are online, either in video or audio format. And you can go back and rehearse uh, some of those principles that we considered last week that we're all to uh, remember uh, together. And this morning, I would like to wrap up with some practical guidelines of how we continue to maintenance unity as considerate, loving, spirit-filled people. Some guidelines. And I'm going to give you those guidelines here very quickly, and then we're going to go back and explain a little bit. Okay? So here they are. In verses 13 and 14, Paul tells both the weak and the strong, make sure you don't judge. Let us not judge, okay, one another anymore, but rather determine, determine not to be a stumbling block to anyone in the church. I think particularly here, this is an imperative for both. The second part that I mentioned is in relationship to, um, I believe, primarily the strong, but I think practically both. So let us not judge. Verse 15, guideline number two, do not destroy. These guidelines are given in the form of imperatives, obviously, commands. Do not destroy with your food him whom Christ has died for. Obviously an imperative for the strong who believe that they don't have to live underneath any of those former religious restrictions. 
Don't destroy. We'll discuss that together. Verse 20. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. Don't tear it down. In other words, all these things, and we'll discuss them in detail again, all these things are not worth uh, destroying and or tearing down that which God has built up in Christ. So don't tear it down. And then we're going to finish with three principles by way of conclusion, that are offered to both the wise and the strong. And we're going to discuss a little bit what it means to be at the end of the sermon this morning, a Christian who's a crusader or a Christian who's living by conscience. Paul is addressing people here who are living by their spirit-filled conscience. Uh, crusaders for a cause may be saved, but they're not spirit-filled saved people. And we'll discuss a little bit of difference between a crusader and person of conscience, so you might be able to place yourself in one category or the other, um, but we'll do that towards the end. Okay? So here we go. Let me tell you what we're not going to talk about this morning. We're not talking about going into someone's home. And um, when we were in Canada on a missions trip, it's customary in Canada to uh, always take off your shoes and leave them at the front door. Um, it's almost, uh, in the part of Canada we were at that time anyway, and I've been in several parts of Canada, it's been that way everywhere I've been in Canada. It's almost, uh, it seems somewhat a religious custom they're devoted to. Just, just don't do that. Um, we're not talking about um, domestic opinions. We're not talking about this morning what you choose to watch on TV and what you don't. We're not talking about what kind of movies that you go to and uh, which ones you choose not to go to. We're not talking about whether you go to movies or not, let alone watching. We're not talking about clothing. We're not talking about um, things that typically Christians can have differing opinions. We, we've got to be careful, especially those of you that have known the Lord for a long time. We have to understand what this passage is not about. Because it's preached so much outside of its immediate context. People start to take this text and apply this text to those practical areas of decision-making that we all face every day, and this text is not about those things. So let's kind of compartmentalize ourselves to the context. The context is exclusively talking about formerly Jewish people who were remaining, as I've already said, conscientious in relationship to their former diet and former days that they would celebrate under the Mosaic Code. The strong are exclusively, according to the context, only given guidelines here on how to handle the weak because they do not feel tied to any former religious dietary code or adherence to days. Are we clear? So, while it may have some similarities for those of you that have been Christians for a while to 1 Corinthians 8, it's not exclusively a 1 Corinthians 8 situation. We're going to pay attention to the context immediately, and we're going to apply 
this context to our church this morning the way the Roman church would have heard it. They're not Corinth. They're not the church of Galatia that Paul addresses with similar issues, only more of an extreme way, as you see in Galatians 1 through 4. This is Rome. It's a healthy church. These people are not experiencing perpetual issues among themselves. They're not a divided church. They're a unified church. They're a growing church. They're a healthy church. And all Paul's doing in Romans 14 in relationship to specifically those two things, he's saying this is how to be considerate. So he's giving them really fire preventive. I call it smoke of the bear theology, right? How can we prevent future fires in the church of Rome? And this is how, and we finish with these, these guidelines. Let us not judge, do not destroy, and do not tear down. Okay? So, verses 13 and 14, if I can draw your attention there. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. If you underline that word determine, that's a unique word in the original language, which means uh, his goal here is for every soul, not just the church collectively, but every individual soul in that church to examine their own heart very carefully. Each one of you, whether strong or weak, you must determine not to judge but rather determine this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know, and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything is unclean, to him it is unclean. So Paul's telling us here in verse 14, even though he's a biological Jew, he's not part of the weak. He's come to the place in his own conscience where even though he used to be a Pharisee of the Pharisees, right, by his own testimony in Philippians 3 and other passages, that he doesn't have any issues with that anymore. God did something in his heart to cut the cord with honoring of days and, and dietary restrictions as, as per the Mosaic Code. He doesn't deal, but he says, it's, it's, I'm good with it. So I'm part of the strong. So as part of the strong in the church, this is what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to judge the weak because what they're doing, they're doing in their conscience before the Lord. And I'm not going to be a stumbling block to the weak either. In other words, as you get to know each other, as Paul got to know the Roman people, which he had never visited, but by reports from them, he's just telling them, as you get to know each other, and you find out if you're weak or you're strong, and you're having dinner together at your house, and you're a strong person, and you have a weak person come over to your house, try to do your best to honor their conscience. That's all he's saying. So if they, as a Jew, a historic Jew, consider some type of meat unclean, or anything in diet unclean, don't serve them that. Honor their conscience because they do not believe that they're getting spiritual brownie points with God. They don't believe that their past good works in that realm has anything to do with their salvation, but they're still trying to honor God in their conscience. They're weak, remember. They're growing, but they're still weak. So don't be a stumbling block to them. Don't judge and be careful when you're around them. That's all it's saying. 
but we have to be careful with the context because he's speaking specifically to the weakness of Jewish people. We have some biological Jews in our context this morning. I don't believe any of them are weak. They're all probably strong. We're going to apply this text in some ways I think that are understandable to the text, as I said earlier, but this is what Paul is saying is don't judge. Don't judge one another. And so the, the imperative here is to both the weak and the strong, Paul just gives a personal example as a strong member, what I would not do. I'm not going to be a stumbling block. Can the weak judge? Go back and listen to last week's sermon. Uh, and we talked about how the strong has a tendency to, be, uh, to look down upon the weak, and the weak has a tendency to judge, and maybe even question the salvation of the strong. And, he, and we talked about how both handle that last week. I'm not going to take time. But he says here for both of them, make sure that you don't judge. And as an example of someone who's strong, this is what I'm not going to do. I'm going to be careful when we're around each other. So I'm going to assume they're saved. I'm going to assume they're growing. And I'm going to be careful when I'm around them. Can we remember that? Right? I'm going to be, always assume they're saved. I'm going to always assume that they're growing. And I'm always going to be careful. Saved, growing, and careful. He goes on in verse 15. Let's read that together. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ has died. He goes on from a personal illustration to verse 15, the second imperative, don't destroy because you want to have a hamburger and you're feeling, you know, you're feeling red meat on the grill, and you've been looking forward to it all week, but you've got a weak person coming over that in their former religious history believes that to be unclean, put aside your craving for a burger on to Saturday, so while you have the week over on Friday, feed them something they believe to be kosher. I mean, is it possible today we have a very large, biological, very religious Jewish contingency not far from our church. And they are very, very, uh, as much as they can within our culture, still adhering to Old Testament Mosaic codes. My children's school played a Jewish school not far from here. And I was, uh, I was walking in with a Starbucks and they had a monitor at the door of this Jewish school and they stopped me, and they asked me the ingredients in my cup, okay? And I told them it was coffee, and they said, did you add anything to your coffee? And I told them what I added. And they said, if you could please, they're very kind, very sweet, if you could please finish your drink outside of our facility, we would greatly appreciate that. Right? So what did I do? I went outside the facility, I paid $10,000 for that cup of coffee, right? I ain't going to throw it away, right? Even if I miss the beginning of my kid's game, I'm going to drink that coffee, right? I drank it, and then I went in. No issues, because I get it, right? It's free country. They can practice their religion the way they want. And they were very kind. So let's say that some of those folks, we have the opportunity to win to Christ, 
Could it possibly be true that they could actually be in Christ, actually be growing, and because they didn't get, come to know Christ until they were 50, 55 years old, that they could actually still have some legitimate conviction in their mind because they've been honoring the Lord so long that they weren't going to have coffee that had milk in it from an unclean animal. Yes. And if they get saved and they come into our community, remember, we're all the same because we're all in Christ. And we're all going to assume we're growing. And it might be a case where we have to be careful to honor their conscience. That's all Paul's saying here. This has nothing to do with TV, clothes, where you go on vacation, where you don't, TV, movies, whatever. It doesn't have anything to do with that. And Paul's saying, don't destroy, don't destroy because of what you get to do with a Starbucks. Barb's a biological Jew. I don't believe that she struggled. I don't believe she's weak. I think she's strong like the apostle Paul would have been. But if Barb still struggled with unclean ingredients in my Starbucks, when I had them over to my home, I would not offer her coffee I would offer a coffee, but with nothing else unclean to put in it. Because why? Barb's saved. She's growing. But I'm going to be careful. Amen? All right. So it still could possibly happen today. Um, and we'll give some other practical applications as we, as we continue along here. What does he go on to say in verse 16? Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. So when... Barb leaves your house, or whoever leaves your house, and even though you were able to eat steak or offer whole milk, right, or heavy cream to put in their coffee, even though you're allowed to do that, don't let Barb get in the car with Tony as they're leaving and, and say, you know what, it'd have been really great if Pastor Tim would have just not assumed that I had grown that far yet, because that's still, I'm still struggling with that. I just wish she wouldn't have done that. That's all it's saying. That's all it's saying. Okay? Uh, don't do that. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. Now, I think we've taken that verse and we've applied that to a lot of different contexts in our life, haven't we? As a matter of fact, most of us probably pull that text out of our mind and we speak it in contexts that have nothing to do really with the immediate context that's right here. But it's still a good principle. Don't ever let your good be evil spoken of. But within the context, this is, this is what it means. Let's continue on here. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and treating, but righteousness. I believe that's in reference to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The people of God, it's not about what we eat and what we don't, or what we drink and what we don't, but righteousness and peace in the joy and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit, it's a powerful phrase. Study it out on your own, this prepositional phrase, because uh, I believe Paul's saying here that as we're governed by the Spirit, and as we walk in the Spirit, we won't gratify the lust of the flesh, and we'll continue to put on Christ and make no occasion for the flesh. And what does it go on in verse 18 to say? For he who in this way serves Christ, is acceptable to God and approved by men. And he says that's the goal. Honor God and maintain the unity that God's given you. Be acceptable by all men. 
All men, okay? Verse 19. So, so then, we pursue the things which make for peace and what? Oikodomia. The building up. That's the Greek word. The building up of one another. And if we go back to 12.9, the building up of one another in love. This is what considerate people do. They're constantly assuming saved, growing, careful. I'm going to help them grow more. Building each other up. That's always what we do together as a family. Now, verse 20, do not tear down. Here's the final guideline. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. Again, it's addressed to both groups. The language here is to tear down piece by piece, I believe. It's not worth it. We're not talking necessarily about the whole collective church tearing the church apart, but every member here is a part of a whole. So I don't want to be irreverent, but how many of you like string cheese? Right? I don't know if I eat it because um, I'm a nervous eater or whatnot, but, but I like the tube of cheese that you can pull apart in strings. Are you, are you with me? All right? So think about the, the church as the tube of cheese. And I'm sure it's probably really reverent, good tasting cheese, whatever you want to call it, right? But don't, don't tear apart one person you have the opportunity to be with to, exp to express to them your strength and your confidence. Because that one little slice or sliver right, is part of a, a divine whole. They're, they're just as divine as the whole. So honor God. And when they leave your presence, make sure they're still acceptable in your sight. And vice versa. And to the weak. Okay? When you have someone over to your house, and you're formerly a religious Jew, and you have a completely kosher meal, while they're sitting around your table, it's okay for you to rehearse for them maybe the Mosaic Code that defines. But don't tell them that, you know, I'm really growing in the Lord, and the more I grow in the Lord, the more I get attached to the Mosaic Code. Don't tell them that, because that's not what Paul's saying. I think it's wonderful for you to explain the history and the whys, and you do it for conscience sake, but don't make the strong feel that they're weak when it's actually you who are weak. Does that make sense? So don't push your agenda. Just be kosher. Do it because it's a conscience matter before the Lord, and you want to be approved of God and acceptable to men. Not difficult to understand. But to the person, this is the, the conscientious nature of Paul under the Holy Spirit, what he's giving us here. Okay? Let's go on here. Verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. He rehearses that fact only a little bit more detail. All he's doing is expanding the dietary restriction issues under the old Mosaic Code as compared to what the strong did not feel compelled to adhere to. He's just expanding it, but it's restating the same purpose. It's not worth 
causing your brother to stumble over that. Verse 22, he says it in another unique way. The faith which you have, and this faith is not in reference to saving faith, but it's in reference to the degree of maturity they have at the particular point they're hearing this letter. The spiritual maturity that you have, you have as your own conviction before God, which kind of reminds us of what he was saying back in verses 5, 6, and 7. And it says, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. In other words, there's a certain, uh, remember, we're all going to stand before God. We have the same aim and the same judgment coming. And basically what he's saying is don't bring judgment upon yourself because you get to do something in your liberty that could possibly offend somebody else. So he's just basically saying, keep focused on they're saved, they're growing, be careful and try to help them grow again. They're saved, they're growing, be careful and continue to keep helping each other grow. Just kind of remember those four things through this whole passage because he's restating those four simple truths uh, in those ways. And then he says in verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, he speaks to the weak here to finish up the chapter and he's saying, man, you're looking at that strong group of people. Man, they can, they're not worrying about kosher, unclean. They're not worrying about the Feast of Tabernacles. They're not worrying about what we're supposed to do with the book of the law in the month of Nisan. They're not thinking about any of those things anymore, and they never have. What's wrong with me? Maybe I should just cut the cord, and maybe I should just do what they're doing, no matter how my conscience feels about that. And what Paul's saying here is beautiful. He said there's nothing cookie cut about Christian growth. It's all a process. And it's a slow process. Don't cut the cord with what your conscience is still tied to just so you can have the relief or not have any potential contention between you and the strong. I think Paul's telling us something here. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 and other passages. He's telling us here, when you're governed by the Spirit of God, as a saved person, the highest human court that you have is your conscience. Let me say that again. When, there's a qualifier, when you're governed by the Spirit of God, the highest human court that you have is your conscience. And governed by the Spirit of God means you're saved, you're governed by the Spirit of God, you're word-saturated, and you're growing. So it's okay at that point to let your conscience be your guide. And he's saying, there may come a time where you might be like Paul, where I don't have any issues with that. And he says, great. But in the meantime, there's nothing cookie cut about the Christian experience. Everyone's growing. And you hear me say that all the time. We can have 600 different looks here on a sunny morning. Looks don't matter as long as everyone's still what? Just keep growing. <laughs> Just keep growing in Christ's likeness. And it's powerful wording here because if you violate your conscience, it's sin for you. So don't violate your conscience. Someday it may not be sin. 
But I don't think the issue's really here choosing to eat meat when you're not, unclean meat when you're not ready to or whatnot. I think the issue is here is your conscience. And the principle for all of us is when you're, word sa- when you're saved and word saturated and spirit governed, your conscience is not a still small voice often in your mind, is it? It's a screamer. <laughs> don't do that. And we just obey your conscience then. Okay? All right. I've listened to more than, uh, more than a handful of sermons on this context, right? I'm going to give to you now, from all the multiple sermons I've heard, three concluding principles about how to handle this text as we close. Are you ready? All right. First of all, acceptance is a key nutrient in the soil of God's love. Chapter 14 and verse 1, now accept the one who is weak in the faith. Chapter 15 and verse 1, now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Verse 7 of chapter 15, therefore accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Acceptance is a key nutrient in the soil of God's love. Number two, our lives are first lived, are to be first lived in devotion to an audience of one. And if you always maintain this, you'll always walk with God. Each one of us individually present ourselves to God first before we present ourselves to man. And that's the principle of Romans 14, verses 5 through 7. Verse 7, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. To this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. We already preached on that. Just remember, you'll remain spiritually successful if you live your life first and foremost to the audience of one, and that's God. And the third principle here, as we continue, the third third concluding principle is this. Don't elevate yourself to a role that you could never fulfill. Don't elevate yourself to a role that you could never fulfill. Go back on your own time, read all 23 verses, a handful of verses of chapter 15, first handful of verses in chapter 15, and go back and look at and rehearse for yourself again all the times we're told not to condemn or to judge or to look down on. Don't condemn, don't judge, don't look down on. Don't condemn, don't judge, don't look down on. When you do that, you're elevating yourself to a role that you could never fulfill because the passage says there's only one person that could truly fulfill that, right? And that's God. We're all going to stand before him anyway. Now, as we wrap up this morning, I would like to discuss with you the difference between a person of conscience and a crusader. Have there been in our existence modern day issues 
in relationship to food, drink, or honoring of days. Let me highlight a few so that we can stay within the immediate context, even though it might not be directly an immediate application to a formerly religious Jewish lifestyle. Are you with me? Are you with me? I don't see anyone sleeping yet. Everyone's looking at me like they're, they pretend they're listening to me. I just want to make sure you're with me. Andrew, you with me? Suzik, you good? Good. All right. Ready? Hi, Sarah and husband. It's good to see you guys. I just recognize you're here. All right. Good. We're here. But it is an application of modern day issues that we've all potentially faced, maybe faced. Some of you, are, when I get through this list, you're going to say, whoa, dude, you had a weird existence. I've never heard of that in my life. And that might be the case, and that's okay. Don't let this stain your existence, you know, or your opinion of me, all right? I'm just going to go through some things that are, are not particularly Jewish in religious history, but still issues with days and food. Where is food discussed in the scripture? Well, obviously we need it by the Bible says for existence. If we don't eat well and sleep well, we can't live well. Food is coupled with fellowship in Acts chapter 2 verses 41 to 44. And we love it when the family of God gets together and gets the chance to eat, right? Whether we have someone over to our home, a picnic or a, or a fellowship together. Right? Both the apostle John and the writer of Hebrews said that it's, it's wise to accept strangers and to provide for their needs in your home. John says we even do that, and we're able to send them out, these itinerant gospel preachers, missionaries, church planners, whatever you want to identify them as today, fed well, cared for well, as they, as they go out to serve the Lord. But where can food cause issues? There is a small sect within our own country to this day who claims that they're saved, but they maintain that adhere, strict adherence to the Old Testament Mosaic Jewish code is necessary for the maintenance of their salvation. Right? Paul addresses those folks in the, book of in the book of Galatians. And he says, no, your gospel's accursed. You can't add anything to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is enough. Your good works don't make you saved. Your religious codes don't make you saved. Right? You're saved in Jesus and Jesus alone. So, but it's still an issue in our culture, and I've had the opportunity to try to minister to those folks in my past. Possibly, like me, you have met someone who is involved in the latest weight loss craze, and they are pushing you almost in a religious frenzy to enjoy the weight loss they have. And if you buy this, and if you eat this, you will be healthy. And of course, we all know God wants us to be physically fit. That's food. And people can get really excited about how a particular diet is affecting their health. And they're really excited and, and that God brought that into their life. And in their excitement, though in their immaturity, they combine their excitement with that food, and they can, and they have, tried to push folks into that way of living with that particular diet. And Paul would say no. Just whatever you're going to do, do it to the Lord. And 
mind your own business. When I was younger, there was a multi-level marketing scheme that really pushed vitamin supplements. And when I was younger, it affected this church. This is clear back when I was in elementary and junior high. And people talked about it a lot. Like a lot. Like, if you didn't take this particular brand of vitamin, you probably were in some type of altered state of spiritual existence. How could you not see that taking these vitamins is what you need to do? Well, it affected the church. And Paul's saying here, don't let food or days affect the church. Just don't. Supplement or not. Just mind your own business. We're all saved. We're all growing. Let's be careful. And let's help each other continue to grow. There's a tendency in churches that have been around for a while when pastors say, you know what, we're not going to have any more potlucks. Pastor, can't have a church and not have potlucks. It's food, right? Have, have churches had issues with how potlucks are run or how kitchens are run that help prepare the food for the potluck? Never. No church ever has issues with those. But it's a food issue. Just stop. It's, what's Paul saying? It's just food, right? It's just food. If you're going to make an issue over something that's not an issue, maybe you're the issue. Maybe we should write that down. I never thought about that before. <laughs> and, and apply that to me first, Pastor Kit. If you're going to make an issue over something that's not an issue, maybe you're the issue. That's not in my notes. Okay? All right. Now put your steel tip boots on. And no gasps, no amens. Just try to stay quiet. Thank you, Bonnie. All right, are you ready? There was a lot of people that got really upset when a certain franchise stopped decorating their coffee cups to really look like Christmas not long ago. And they boycotted. And they encouraged very feverishly other Christians. Why would you go... It's just coffee. Okay? That's all it is. Just coffee. I have entertained other folks. Not a lot. But I have entertained folks who see a Christian eating a particular brand of chocolate. And they had done some research, I'm sure, on a very legitimate website somewhere. (laughs) Right? Because we all know we can believe what we see on the internet. I hope you know I said that facetiously, right? All right? Do they understand where that company gets their cocoa beans to make their brand of chocolate? And when they did that, my, my, my first tendency is just like, dude, you got like way too much time on your hands. <laughs> you know? Seriously? No, tell me about the origination of the cocoa bean that makes up that brand of chocolate. Well, Pastor Tim, I have this, you know, Those farms where those cocoa beans are grown, harvested, owned by a Mexican 
or a Colombian drug lord. We should clear our cupboards of all that brand and, and, never, and never purchase it. My friends, can we say it together? It's just, it's just, it's food. It's food. Now for your conscience sake, if you feel like you can't, that's fine. But Paul's saying, then just, just mind your own business. Okay? We're all saved. We're growing. Be careful. I don't know of anyone in our church that any longer, right? I'm giving you historic illustrations. There's no one in this church that fits that coffee, chocolate, potluck, all these things I'm telling you. No one here, I don't know of anyone. If you're here, then just mind your own business. <laughs> things are going really well here. You know, we just keep loving the Lord, growing, right? Be careful, right? If you bring up, if you get a little steamy about talking about potlucks, I'm gonna be real careful, but I'm gonna help you grow again, okay? So what's the difference between a crusader and a person of conscience? And by the way, I don't know of anyone in our church that's a crusader, but praise God. But maybe as we define this, a crusader is someone that does what? They're self-promoters. And their promotion of their food, dietary restriction, or days. There are some people in the past that, you know, I don't celebrate Christmas. I don't celebrate Easter. Our culture has made it more about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny than Jesus. So I've boycotted those holidays. Okay? If you've done that in your conscience, then okay. Unfortunately, right, and everyone that has done that here, if you've done that, you're conscientious people. You're not crusaders. But in the past, people have tried to persuade churches to no longer do Christmas or do Easter. Okay? And you guys know that there's a cult in our culture that bans all holidays, including birthdays. And Paul is saying, stop. Right? You may be weaker in that regard, but just keep growing and don't be a self-promoter of that particular position. Crusaders are persistent. They apply a lot of pressure. They're particular in who they talk to in the local church and keep company with. Crusaders always find the weakest link in every church and try to get them on board. I've never seen a crusader go after a strong, mature Christian. Okay? They're sneaky. They're sly. All right? And they're people that are permanently grounded in their position, and they have no reason to give ear to anyone that would encourage them to not be a crusader. They're not teachable, right? They're not teachable. But people of conscience, what do they do? They keep the matter between themselves and the Lord. They will not allow their position to affect fellowship or mutual growth in the local church. And they're always open to the Lord maturing their hearts as to their position and certainly in Christlikeness. Does that make sense? They'll keep the matter between them and the Lord. They'll not allow their position to affect the fellowship in the local church. And they're always open to their hearts maturing as to their position and helping others grow in Christ likeness.
Okay? All right, let's pray.